the scripture reading before the lessons from Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. In the Red Pew Bibles, uh, in the pew in front of you, if you'll turn to page 3, and you'll find these verses. Again, Genesis 4, verses 3 through 8. In the course of time, Cain brought, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was, was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, if you, do well you will not be, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must overrule it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. The story of Cain and Abel is one that maybe you're not as familiar with, but it's extremely important in the Bible. And we're going to be looking this evening at Genesis 4. So if you haven't already got your Bibles open there, please go ahead and do that. I wanted to share with you this series that we began last week on Sunday nights is called Not Just for Kids. We have a wonderful Bible class teacher. I won't embarrass her by telling you who she is, but... Um, she has, for her Bible class, she has taken little sheets like this, and she's talking to her class on Sunday mornings about the lessons that are going to happen on Sunday night so that they can tune in and, and uh, listen to the lesson as well. That's a great idea for those of you who are Bible class teachers right now. So something you might think about doing. Uh, by the way, next week, Noah and the flood, okay? So that way you kind of know what's upcoming. I also put all the upcoming lessons in the bulletin in that little section that says, From John's Desk. So if you want to consult that, you're free to do that as well. Cain and Abel. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4 together. Genesis 4 is a chapter of firsts. Just like last week, we talked about how Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden and God allowed them to work and to know him. And the first sin happened in the garden. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden at the end of Genesis chapter 3. They were forbidden from ever returning. And now we're in Genesis 4, all kinds of first time things happening in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4 verses 1 and 2, and I want you to just stop and think about this for a minute. The first children are born. God is gracious even to sinners. Adam and Eve had committed grievous sin, had been cast out of the presence of God, and yet the Bible says that God allowed Adam and Eve to conceive. And look at what Eve says in verse one, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So even though there's a distance between Adam and Eve and God, God is still providing for them and he's still showering his grace upon them in their lives, despite the curse and the things that have been uh, inflicted upon them as punishment for their sin. Not only do you read about the first children, their names are Cain and Abel, as we'll talk about in just a moment. The first occupations. What is the world's oldest profession? As far as I know, the world's oldest profession is a shepherd and a farmer, because Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd, the Bible tells us. Not only that, there is the first mention of worship. 
The first time that Cain and Abel bring offerings to God. That's the first mention of worship in the Bible. More about that in just a few moments. In this chapter, we also have the very first human being that died. In James 2.26, the Bible tells us that the body without the spirit is dead. You have a soul, you have a spirit that lives inside you. And at the moment of your death, your spirit leaves your body. First person that ever happened to was named Abel. And it was the result of a murder. You want to talk about living in a sin-sick world. Didn't die of natural causes, didn't die of old age. He died because his brother killed him. First death. It's the first record, Genesis 4, of a city being built. They called the city Enoch after Cain's son, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 17. There's also in this chapter the very first genealogy. The Bible contains a great number of genealogies, how people are related to one another. The very first one is located in Genesis 4, verses 17 through 24. Now, before we dive into our studies this evening, a couple more things about Genesis 4. It is sparse on details. I wish I knew what was specifically really wrong with Cain's sacrifice. The Bible does not tell us, tells us some things, but I wish we knew exactly the, the specific issue. The Bible doesn't tell us, it just tells us God did not regard Cain or his sacrifice. I wish I knew where Cain got his wife. The Bible says he, he married someone in verse 17 and he knew his wife and they started conceiving children and presumably all, all these children came from Adam and Eve, but the Bible doesn't tell us a great deal about that. The Bible sparse on details in Genesis 4. It does not tell us what Cain's mark looked like. It doesn't even tell us where his mark was located. As one of his um, protections from punishment, God put a mark on him. How does that communicate to anybody that Cain is not to be touched, that you're not to bring vengeance upon Cain's head? The Bible doesn't indicate that either. Lots of other questions. It's sparse on details, but it does tell us what God wants us to know. And here's what God wants us to know. God wants us to know that sin is progressive. That once we give ourselves to sin, once we give ourselves willingly to the habitual practice of sin, it multiplies and it expands. And so we've got Adam and Eve eating fruit that's forbidden in Genesis chapter three. And now in Genesis chapter four, we've got anger. We've got the wrong kind of offering. We've got murder. And as you look down later in the chapter in verses 23 and 24, Abel has descendants and his fifth generation descendant named Lamech. He is a polygamist. That means he's married to more than one woman. That was never God's intention ever. Jesus said as much in Genesis 19. Not only is he guilty of polygamy, but Lamech also has killed someone himself. Sin just kind of multiplies. You see somebody else do it. My great, great, great grandfather did it. So it must be okay for me to do it as well. And what you see in Genesis 4 is the world becoming more and more and more corrupt, leading up to the judgment that God's going to bring on the world in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, when he sends a flood in Noah's day. More about that next time. But when you look at Genesis 4, it's a chapter of firsts, and not all the firsts are good ones. Now let's go back and focus on Cain and Abel and what happens with these two individuals. In the first place, 
Let's talk about Cain's offering. Beginning in verse three, Ray read this just a moment ago. Listen to what it says. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel, verse four, also brought the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord, it says, had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So, the Bible tells us that both brothers bring offerings to the Lord. Somebody says, well, how did they know to bring offerings? God had to tell them. There's no other way that they would have known that this was the right thing to do. Brethren, we don't learn God's will by just doing whatever we want and deciding that this is somehow going to please him. The way we learn God's will is by listening to his voice. And the only way these two men knew that they were supposed to bring offerings before God is because God had given his voice. He had told them, whether it was verbally, whether it was in a dream or a vision, God had communicated to them that this was his desire. And therefore, they brought offerings to God. This was what he wanted. The Bible tells us that God had regard for Abel and his offering. The word regard in Hebrew just means God looked upon Abel and his offering. He looked at it. And the implication is that what Abel had done pleased the Lord. You know, the ancient Jewish rabbis, as they talked about this account, their idea was, and they have no basis for this other than speculation, but their idea was that God caused fire to fall from heaven and to consume Abel's sacrifice. And that was how Abel knew that God was pleased with what he had done. Maybe, that's speculation, but that's what the ancient rabbis used to teach about this. But then the Bible says that God did not regard Cain and his offering. And the key question is why? What was wrong with Cain's offering? Some have said, well, maybe Cain, it's the fact that Cain offered uh, fruits and grains. And God never said offer fruits and grains. There are times in the Old Testament where God says, bring me those things, the very first fruits of what you've got, the very best of what you've got. Leviticus chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 11, both of those passages authorized the Jews, the Israelites later on in history to bring grain and the first fruits of what their harvest brought. And so it's not necessarily the sacrifice, as far as we know, that was the problem. You know what the problem was, most, most likely? The problem was when the, what, with the one that was offering the sacrifice. It was with Cain. It was with his heart. In Mark 7, verse 6, Jesus says... This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, he goes on to say. When God looks at us and God desires worship from us, God doesn't want us just to sing the songs. He doesn't just want us to bow our heads in prayer. And he doesn't just want us to hear with our ears what he's telling us. God wants us to worship him from the heart. He wants our hearts in worship. And it may well be that the biggest problem with Cain's offering is that Cain was bringing maybe the leftovers or that Cain in offering things to God wasn't very sincere. Maybe he was doing it because he had to, not because he wanted to. Incidentally, God wants you to want to worship him. If you're worshiping just because you have to, just because you feel a sense of obligation or duty, God's not pleased with that kind of worship he wants the kind of worship where we say, God, I'm, I'm glad to come into your presence. I'm glad to bring these sacrifices and gifts and offerings to you. Now, there's a verse in the New Testament that talks about this offering. It talks about Abel specifically. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith, 
Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now, the fact that it says by faith, I say again, we do not learn what God wants us to do unless he tells us. He must tell us what he desires. And that's the only way that Abel could do this by faith. The passage goes on to say that Abel was commended as righteous. In other words, God regarded his sacrifice and him. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And it goes on to say through Abel's faith, though he died, he still speaks. When you and I choose to live by faith, we're gonna have a legacy that impacts people and makes a difference in other people's lives. Your children, your grandchildren, your loved ones, the church, and your neighbors and your friends, you're gonna leave a legacy that makes a difference. Though you're dead, you can still speak because you live by faith. That's what Abel does. So Cain brings an offering. God does not regard the offering. And now if you look at the last part of verse five, listen to what it says. In verse 5b, the scripture says, so Cain was very angry. Not just angry, but very angry. Have you ever been very angry? We tend to kind of want to rein in our emotions, but sometimes things happen to us where our passions just get the best of us. You get red in the face and you're just out of control. That's kind of the sense of what's happening with Cain. And the scripture says his face fell. You could see it all over his face. Cain is not a happy camper. Verse six, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came to Adam in the garden, remember, and asked a whole bunch of questions. Adam, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? He asks a bunch of questions, not because God doesn't know, but because God wants Adam to acknowledge what he's done. And here, in the very same sense, God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, why are you angry? And it's a great question to think about when you're angry. Why am I angry? What is this thing that's making me so upset? Why are you angry? The Bible warns us about this. In Jonah chapter four, verse four, Jonah chapter four, verse nine, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah was so mad because God had spared those Ninevites. Jonah said, I'm, I'm really angry that you let them live. I'm waiting to see that they're gonna turn on you, God, and you're gonna have to strike them dead anyway. Jonah was angry, but he didn't have a right to be. Ephesians 4.26 tells us that we are to be angry and not sin. We're not to give place to the devil. And Ephesians 4.27, that phrase, giving place to the devil, that's really important. Brothers and sisters and friends, when we allow ourselves to just lose control in anger, we are giving the devil a foothold in our lives. We are giving him a place to work and he is gonna use us in all of the most diabolical ways to accomplish terrible things. Proverbs 25, 28 warns us, whoever does not have rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls, defenseless, without any kind of, of guard set up. Again, the Bible says in James 1, 19 and 20, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because, James says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Be slow to anger. One of the lessons you learn in the first four chapters of Genesis is this, listen up. In order to please God, you have to say no to what you want. 
In order to please God, you have to say no to your feelings at times. But I don't feel like doing it if you want to please God. But I'm angry if you want to please God. Do you well to be angry? One of the lessons and one of the reasons why the world is in the mess it's in and one of the reasons why our lives get in the messes they get in is because we do what we feel like doing. We follow our passions. We follow our desires. We do what we want. That's what Cain did. And it ends up in disaster and it ends up in heartache and it ends up in misery and it'll do the same thing to your life and mine. Bible's warning us about these things. Do you well to be angry? Here's what God says to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, God is pleading with Cain. Now think about the mercy of God. He's talking to sinners. He's talking to people that have violated his will already. Cain didn't offer the kind of sacrifice that God was pleased with or in the way that God wanted it offered. However, the problem was God's looking at Cain and he's saying, Cain, I still want you to get this right. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, by the way, if you like making notes in your Bible, verse seven is the key to this entire passage. Verse seven is right at the middle. It's right, it's the, it's the key verse. And here's what God says. If you do not do well, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God personifies sin here. He says it's like a wild animal right outside your door and it's looking to pounce on you. It's looking to attack you. Cain, you better get a hold of your anger and you better think about what you've done and you better think about how to be right with me because if you don't, sin is right outside. It's close. It's right outside the door. Its desire is for you. Sin wants you, Cain. It's a warning. It's like Jesus when he talked to Peter, Luke chapter 22. Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me, remember? Sometimes you can warn people and you can tell them this is about to happen. If you do this, if you follow through this course of action, it's going to happen, I'm telling you. And they still go on and they do what they want to do. That's where sin comes from. And in his anger, Cain's not going to listen to God. He's not going to listen to Abel. Presumably Adam and Eve may have been around and been able to talk to Cain. He's not listening to anybody. Cain is angry, very angry because he's jealous of the fact that Abel's accepted and he's not. There are two kinds of relationships. There's a vertical relationship that we have with God. There's a horizontal relationship that we have with our fellow man. If we don't get that vertical relationship right, we are always going to have problems in our horizontal relationships, always. Come to God, know Him, have a relationship with Him, and He will teach you how to have healthy, happy, holy relationships with the people around you. If you don't have that vertical relationship, you're going to struggle. You may do a lot of things right, but you're still going to struggle. And even if you do have that vertical relationship, we still struggle, don't we? Notice next, Cain's brother. I want you to look at the passage. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And I want you to notice that six times in three or four verses here, six times the phrase, his brother, is used. The Bible's highlighting it. It's making it bold. It's like a neon sign. It's his brother. It's his brother. It's his brother. It wants you to know that this 
crime that's about to be committed, this is premeditated, this is vicious, this is ugly, this is the first human being to die and he died at the hands of his brother. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, it says in verse eight, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Does God not know? Does God not have any idea? Why, God, why does God keep asking these questions? He's teaching these early people. He's teaching our ancient ancestors. By asking these questions, he's saying, I want you to think about this and I want you to admit what you're doing and what you've done. Where's Abel, your brother? Abel asks one of those famous questions in the Old Testament, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know how many preachers have preached sermons with that title, am I my brother's keeper, about fellowship, about community in Christ, and here's Cain, and just very callous, very cold, he has murdered somebody, first murder. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, the Lord said, what have you done? Look at this. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. When blood is shed, God pays attention. When innocent blood is shed, God pays attention. In 1 John 3, as John talks about brotherly love, here's what he says. He says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then he brings up Cain as an illustration. He says, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother in the church. One of the points that John makes is if we hate our brother, if we have anger toward our brother, if that's the way we feel about our brother in Christ, we're no better than Cain. Because where did his murder come from? Where did his act come from? It came from him losing control and his passion. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous, John says. Cain murders his brother. The scripture says, again, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me. I believe there's a Bible principle here. When innocent blood is shed, God knows and God remembers. And oftentimes people may ask, well, where's the justice? Where's the, where's the righteousness? Where, where does all this wrong get righted? If God really is just, how does this happen? The Bible tells us God sees and knows that blood. And I shudder, I shudder to think about all the innocent children that have been murdered in this country over the last 50 plus years by people who, because they didn't want the child, decided that abortion was the right way to go. I'm telling you, God sees and remembers innocent blood when it's shed. And he looks at Abel's blood and he says, Cain, I see that blood of your brother on the ground and it's crying out to me. I can hear it. It's telling me something. It's telling me that justice has not been done. Jesus says this, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, he says, Jerusalem's gonna be destroyed. And he says, the reason why is so that on you, the Jews in Jesus day, he says on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Jesus just went through the entire Old Testament in one verse. Abel's blood is shed. He was innocent. He was righteous. He did the right thing. By the way, he's the one that worshiped properly, acceptably. God regarded Abel's sacrifice from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, Jesus says. And then over in Hebrews again, in Hebrews 12, verse 24, the scripture tells us that we Christians, we've come to Jesus 
who is the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that's Jesus' blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know what that means? Abel's blood cried out only for justice. That's all Abel's blood did. It cried out for justice. Cain needs to be punished because Cain has done an awful, terrible, vicious thing. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy and grace. Have you ever thought about that? The fact that people took Jesus and murdered him, they crucified him, they watched him die and mocked him while they were doing it, and his blood, instead of crying out for justice against us, his blood cries out for mercy and grace toward us. His blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amazing to think about what Jesus has done for us. Your brother's blood cries out to me. The blood of Jesus cries out. Next, Cain's punishment. As you look at verses 11 through 16, God's asking these questions. And finally, God says, and now you are cursed from the ground, verse 11, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, verse 12, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. All right, stop right there. God pronounces a curse upon Cain for what he's done. It's a twofold curse. The first part of the curse is that the ground was going to be cursed for his sake. Now, this happened to Adam back in Genesis 3, 18 and 19. God said, Adam, you're going to have to work really hard. By the sweat of your brow shall you earn your bread. You're going to have much, much more difficulty in bringing in a harvest now. But Cain, Cain's punishment is different. The ground isn't going to do anything for you, Cain. You can plant all the crops you want to plant, and the ground is never going to bring forth fruit for you. It's never going to bring a harvest for you, ever. And therefore, you're going to have to be a vagrant and a wanderer. If we were saying this in 21st century America, we might say this, Cain, you've lost your job, and your home is now closed, and you can't stay here. You've got to go somewhere else. Where can I go? I don't have a job. You're cast out, you're banished, you're exiled. No job, no home, no place to stay. You're gonna be a vagrant and a wanderer. Incidentally, that's a very unsettled way to live. It's a living in fear, it's living with dread, it's living with a wondering if somebody's ever going to attack you. And that's exactly what Cain starts worrying about. Incidentally, there's not one word in this chapter about Cain having any remorse for what he's done. You want to talk about human hearts? You want to talk about being hard-hearted? How many people existed in the world at this point? Not many. Cain and Abel, his brother, Adam and Eve, their parents, maybe some others the Bible doesn't tell us about, but that's, that's it that Adam and Eve had conceived and, and brought into the world. But Cain's got this dark, hard heart where he can murder somebody. And the only thing he seems to really be worried about is what's going to happen to me, God? You're giving me these curses because of what I've done and what's going to happen to me? And so in verse 14, God says, behold, you have driven me, uh, Cain says, behold, you've driven me away today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me is going to kill me because we're all related. And the people that knew Abel and loved Abel, they're going to come after me, Cain says. And the Lord said to him, verse 15, not so. 
When you think about what God does in Genesis 4, it's astounding. God loves people and he shows grace and mercy to sinners over and over and over in Genesis 4. And even though Cain is a murderer now, and even though he's condemned to wander the earth, God says, I'm going to show you mercy, Cain. The scripture says that if anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any should, who found him should attack him. When God put that mark on Cain, whatever it was, was it on his forehead? Was it on his hand? What was it? The mark. When God put that mark on Cain, mark it. It's not part of the curse. It's actually God's measure of protection. When people saw that mark, they saw what, what, what had happened to Cain, they knew. God says, leave this man alone. And God protected Cain in spite of all that he had done. As you think about Genesis 4 and as you think about what Cain does, isn't it wonderful to know that we serve a God who gives us chance after chance after chance after chance to turn our lives around back to him. But isn't it sobering to know as well that our sin will find us out. And whatever we've done and however we lived and whatever decisions we've made, those things God knows and God will bring justice if we don't come to him and come to his son Jesus and throw ourselves upon his mercy. That's the story of Cain and Abel. And it's one that ought to drive us back to God in worship and in our regard for human life. Both of those things are major themes in this chapter. Maybe you're here this evening and you're not a New Testament Christian and you wanna obey the gospel. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sin, be baptized. That's how somebody becomes a Christian. Maybe you need to respond this evening and ask for prayers. Whatever we can do to help you, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.